0: Hi, I'm Delene Allen, the networking queen. I love to connect people. There is nothing more wonderful than the human connection, the connection that can lead to incredible things, to love, to business, to make our lives just so much richer, meeting and connecting on a deeper level than, hi, here's my business card but making those human connections that can take you to magical places. Stay tuned for network equals net worth. I want to hear your stories. I want to share your stories. So, Good afternoon, Deleen Allen. Network <laughs> equals net worth. I want to introduce you to one woman who I so admire, Lisa Drader Murphy. Canadian designer, Lisa Drader Murphy is president and sole owner of the Lisa Drader Murphy brand. Hollywood and Luminaries editor, international for Story of Fashion magazine, and a sought-after professional public speaker, who does an amazing job, a Progress Club Women of Excellence Award winner in the category of Innovator Entrepreneur. Drader Murphy has also been awarded Atlantic Business Magazine's top 50 CEO award for two consecutive years. After graduating in 1990 from Form and Function Design Academy in Calgary at the top of her class, Lisa went on to design numerous products for a variety of sectors, including performance wear clothing, ladies ready to wear, active wear, and children's clothing, and has contributed to the styling and outfitting of for a number of film and television productions Lisa's held position as head of design and director of design and product development for major Canadian manufacturers of technical apparel and has consulted extensively as an independent specialist in the design of technical industrial performance clothing her first in her first. Independent Label Turbine was established in January of 1997 after designer Lisa discovered a stock of high-end vintage tailoring wool in the warehouse of an employer after months of designing, pattern development, and the production of the first Turbine Power Clothes for Women's store was opened in downtown Calgary's trendy Inglewood neighborhood. A second store opened shortly after at the Eau Claire Market on Prince, uh, Prince's Island Park in 1998. With a third store slated for BAMP, an opportunity presented itself to move Lisa's young family to beautiful Nova Scotia and the temptation to enjoy a slower pace of life and family Friendly lifestyle was too great to resist, and we were lucky that she picked Nova Scotia. In 2015, Lisa rebranded her iconic turbine label to Lisa Drader Murphy, further establishing herself as a luxury brand, luxury designer label. Her corporation is a vertical operation where Lisa Drader Murphy is owner and designer is hands-on in every aspect of the business. Her company is unique in, every, uh, her is unique in that it is one of the few remaining in Canada uh, that houses the design, cutting, production, and retail of her collection all from her privately run production and retail facilities, having produced hundreds of thousands of pieces in this manner in little old Falmouth, Nova Scotia. Lisa has uh, Notably, Lisa has grown her business to four posh retail locations and a mobile boutique. I love that. Debt-free and on retained earnings. Despite her continued growth, Drader Murphy continues to be hands-on in every aspect of production, hand drafting, cutting, sewing, her, many of her pieces, even while she had a broken arm this fall. That is like... Totally remarkable. When Lisa moved to the business to Canada's East Coast in 1999, she maintained its cosmopolitan aesthetic, continuing to appear, runways, contribute to fashion shoots, Shoots and keep Turbine in the media spotlight. Since establishing Turbine in 1997, her business has garnered national and international buzz with coverage including CTV, CBC, Life, Canadian Learning Television, Global TV, TNT, New York Times, USA Today, BFM France. NRJ, Canal+, Plus, Entertainment Tonight, Cosmopolitan, L Flair, and CNN. I need your autograph. Lisa has been invited to the Celebrity Brand Suites during the Toronto International Film Festival, the Golden Globes, Oscars, and the Cannes Film Festival. Her styles are frequently spotted on celebrities around the world. Lisa, I can't tell you how long I have waited to be able to actually have this one-on-one conversation. You truly, when I say the word remarkable, Right, And one of the things that I've always loved is not only connecting with people, but to really understand where this drive, ambition, and always seeing an opportunity. So tell us about the early life of Lisa. <laughs> How early? <laughs> well, think of those first connections that set you on the path. Wow. You had role models. You had people who left a definite impression.
1: I absolutely did. Um my My grandfather uh, was definitely an influence in my life. My parents were exceedingly young when they married and had this unexpected child, me. <laughs> and they moved in with my grandparents for a couple of years until I was about two and a half or so. and uh, And then my sister came along. Um, and my grandfather was very encouraging and loving, and he would see a spark and just go with it and understand I was one of dozens of of grandchildren that he had but at the time was the youngest and the youngest by about 10 years so almost like a little bit of an afterthought grandchild <laughs> and um, he was he was definitely someone that that uh, encouraged me and made me feel like you know I had talent and I would maybe be able to do things if i if I worked hard and set my mind to it Um, I I did struggle though. I will I have to say I I'm a perfectionist. Um, I do work a little harder than probably is healthy at times, and I can be very hard on myself. And I I struggled as a teenager with eating disorders that are all part of you know that manifestation of trying to achieve or over overachieve or um. And I guess if you're asking me, maybe in my early adult life, other than grandpa, who really had an impact on me, it was when I was around 22, I ended up um, going through a difficult time in my life, my young life. I found myself as a single parent going through the divorce with my high school sweetheart. It was a really horrible time. And I fell back into some old patterns. And I saw a, a psychologist. I, I sought help. And I was still, you know, I was running a business. I was doing, you know, I'd already graduated um, and was working in my industry. And things on the surface looked to be quite good. But I was really struggling on the inside. And this, this psychologist, Dr. Carolyn, uh, there was one session where I was really broken. And I said, what, what can I do I don't know how to get out of this I feel trapped and she looked at me and she said Lisa if you took all of the energy that you are putting into feeding your illness I can't even imagine what you'd accomplish and I believed her and I didn't believe very many people when they praised me before her I just thought they were trying to say the right thing, but there was something about the connection I had made with her. And I know this isn't a networking business type of connection, but that was, that was a, a moment that turned my life completely around and I wasn't healed that day by any stretch, but you saw but the I light. Her. Yeah. Exactly. I and thought you're right. Like what a waste of this energy. I owe it to myself and the people that I love to do something better with this energy that I'm, expending on feeding an illness and it, it was the beginning of my healing path.
0: Yeah. Well, really what, what, what this is really all about is exactly what you just shared that it is the human connection with somebody that, that helps us, see there was a path and so and sometimes you know family you were so lucky that you grew up in a family that set examples and encouraged right but still that doesn't mean that we don't have those insecurities that it takes somebody outside of that so number one good for you for looking for help but number two thank god that woman because i'm sure you know and again think about psychologists there's some people that come and you think there's no hope for this person because they're too involved in hanging on to that story. But this person let you see the light. She knew how to just pull through,
1: break the crack open a little bit further and I, and allowed me to become vulnerable. And then I trusted her. And when she said that statement to me that day, I felt like this is genuine. She wouldn't say this to me if she didn't mean it. And I owe it to her and myself to, you know, take this newfound knowledge and do something more positive with this energy that I was wasting.
0: Yeah. And so from there, um, tell us about when you went to the back of the hair, Lisa and I both love fabrics. I used to work in the textile business. And uh, people saw this warehouse and walked by it, but you saw that. So I believe same thing, maybe it was your grandpa that started you on the path to always be looking for opportunities. So tell mm-hmm. us, because that was a pivotal moment, wasn't it?
1: Oh, it certainly was. It's when I launched my own collection. Uh, I, I think, sort of a long story, so I'll try to summarize it. But um, I had been working as head of design for this particular company. And I was on my maternity leave, my daughter, Sarah, who's now 23 had, uh, she was like nine days old at the time. And I got a call. Yeah. And I was told that my, my maternity leave replacement was just not working out and that they really needed me to come back. And I said, are you kidding? Like, really? She's nine days old. And we just moved into a new house and I was trying to unpack and recovering and all of that. And, uh, they said, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we really need you to come back. Like bring the baby, and I went, okay. <laughs> so I set up a nursery in the, in my office there. And I had little signs on the door, you know, meeting in process and, and, uh, you know, baby sleeping, knock gently, uh, that kind of thing. And, um, I used to take her for a little walk every afternoon to try to settle her down. So she'd have her two or three hours sleep, and then we could have meetings and other things would happen. And, uh, One day, while I was walking her through the production facility, uh, there's nothing like the whir of 300 industrial sewing machines for white noise to put a baby to sleep. I highly recommend it. Not that accessible, really, but (laughs) if you happen to come across it and you have a tiny baby, best. Um, I was walking through the the production facility and I went to a a warehouse that was at the very back of the plant that had sort of annexed off of the, the facility. And I thought, oh, I'm, I'm back here. I might as well poke around. And I went in and I found this incredible fabric. Now, keep in mind, you, it didn't like, <laughs> fireworks didn't go off. It was, most of it was wrapped in dingy, dusty plastic. And, but I was so curious, like, why is this here? And what is it? Because we're not using this in production. I'd already been there for a few years and I, I you know, hadn't ever seen it before. And it was Gorgeous Harris Tweeds and high quality wool, uh, um, tailoring wool, mainly men's suiting and that that sort of thing. And I went and I asked my uh, my boss. Now my bosses were two brothers, the Krieger brothers, and one was the GM and the other was the president. And and David, the GM, I I went to him and I asked him, you know, what you, what's with this fabric? It's kind of interesting. And he said that old fabric that's been there since 1968. And, you know, we just don't know what to do with it. We just forget it's there. And why were you back there? And I said, well, I was walking the baby and I just sort of, sorry, I was snooping. He's like, oh, no problem. But, um, he didn't seem to see much value in it because it'd been sitting there most of his life. (laughs) And, uh, so he, I, I asked him if I could play with it. And he goes, whatever you want, just, yeah, go for it. So I pulled a couple of the girls off of the um, sample making line and we whipped up about maybe a dozen outfits and they were, they were suits with little tailored jackets and pencil skirts and jumpsuits and rompers and winter, a couple winter coats and that kind of thing. Uh, We did a couple tailored shirts, crisp cotton tailored shirts that were really a mainstay in the collection for quite some time. And uh, went to the boardroom at lunchtime after these were completed and um, I said I have a surprise for you all and management went in and the, the Krieger brothers came in and I brought my my girls off the sewing floor and they were they doubled as models they're very versatile and they uh, modeled the clothes and uh, everybody was kind of like blown away. I still remember Henry the uh, president saying that, that blue fabric. I remember when dad made himself a leisure suit in that in 1970. (laughs) And now it was like a pretty little suit for a woman. And he said, I would never have pictured that. What else can you do? And I I said, oh my gosh, we can do so many cool and interesting things. And and that's kind of how it started.
0: And I mean, there's a lot more to the story, but I don't want to ramble. <laughs> oh, yeah, but, but here's the thing. As you had said, there were other people that worked in this company doing what you did prior to you coming. They walked yeah. back, never saw the opportunity. You yeah. saw the opportunity. But more important, the fact that the, of the two brothers, there was encouragement.
1: There was. I mean, at times, encouragement is almost an exaggeration. I think they humored me a lot <laughs> as well. <laughs>
0: which can be encouraging (laughs) well but also think of this you were cleaning out that warehouse more room to stock something else that might turn over and make some money because this was how long had that been sitting there a long time yeah but (laughs) 40 uh, years so but that's what took you Mm -hmm. to the direction that that you're in now which when you think about that had you not taken that walk where would you be lisa would I don't
1: know I would have found something else and yeah.
0: I. <laughs> yeah well and, and certainly I b- I believe you definitely would have found all kinds of amazing things but look at what you have done so mm-hmm. then um bring us to how the trip to Nova Scotia number one you're married to a maritimer we never stay home so you're mm-hmm. from Grand Prairie Alberta mm-hmm. and did did you meet in Calgary or Grand Prairie where did you meet in Calgary so in Calgary. I lived in I moved to Calgary when
1: I was 18 Okay. And uh, my husband, Carrie had been living there too. And, and we met in 95. Um, and he always talked about the Maritimes. In fact, here's a funny little story. Uh, one of our first, actually, it was our first date. We were walking through downtown Calgary. And we'd gone to a coffee shop. And the streets were kind of getting a little quieter evening. And we decided to go for another walk. And uh, there was a gentleman walking towards us. And he nodded and he said, Hello. And I, and Carrie said, Hello. And I I said, Oh, d- do you know that gentleman? He goes, Oh, no. He's obviously a Maritimer, though. <laughs> like, what just happened? Like, <laughs> like they knew each other, but they didn't know each other. Exactly. But yeah. And I thought, that's kind of neat. Like I didn't know much about the Maritimes at the time.
0: So. So now, had you summered here? Like, had you come back and visited after you and your husband got together? Uh, we came to visit a couple of times.
1: Um, we came, oh, I'm trying to think. We came when, when I was pregnant with my daughter was the first time that we came here. Yeah. And then, um, then we came back the following year. And it was shortly after that that we decided that we were going to be moving here. So 97 yeah. No, 96 we visited the first time came back 98 99 and then ended up moving here at, at the end of 89
0: and and at that point at yeah. that point um you were still working contract for because I mean yeah. obviously um, tell them the story because that was just so beautiful of you've had the baby and um, mm-hmm. somebody offers you something and you said no and then your husband goes what?
1: Yeah. 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 So interesting story as to what brought us here. So many people say, oh, your husband moved you here. Of course, he's a Maritimer. I'm like, actually, he didn't move us here. (laughs) I moved him here (laughs) and um, I had been consulting. So I had really worked my way um, up, I I suppose, in the technical industrial field and um, left the company, but worked as a contractor for the company that I had been working for and started working for other companies as well. And uh, I consulted actually to every company in Canada that did technical industrial apparel uh, at at one point or another during an eight-year span. And um, I had gone to Helly Hansen Canada and worked for uh, David Neves, um, rest his soul. He was a really fantastic leader for that company. And uh, I learned a lot from him. I learned a lot from all of my bosses, anybody that I've worked for, whether sometimes it was hard lessons and sometimes it was just really inspiring lessons. I had done two consecutive contracts for them and was in the the process of opening my third turbine store in Calgary, actually in Banff at the Cascade Plaza. And I had to make a decision. I had to either, I had to stop consulting or I had to really jump in both feet with both feet into my business. Because both of them were kind of becoming bigger than I could manage together. And uh, I told him that I couldn't come back and sign a third contract. And he said, oh, well, that's, you know, that's too bad. And, you know, we're sorry to hear that. And I was I was here in Nova Scotia doing some working with them. I did most of my consulting from my own studio. But I'd come out here for about 10 days a month. And I was about to go back to Calgary. And he called me into his office and he said, um, I've been thinking, um, what would you say if we offered you a directorship and moved your family and your business here? And I, I was stunned. I, I'd never heard an offer like this before. You know, I, I was only 27 years old. It's not like, a, you know, it, it's just seemed overwhelming. And it was something that had never crossed my mind as even a possibility. And I said, no, I'm, I'm really sorry. I can't. I'm signing a, my third lease like next week. I have a, I have so much going on. I was industry expert on an international television show as well. We were doing, we just launched our, our cosmetic line, turbine cosmetics. And I was doing, we were doing makeovers on breakfast television, you know, in the green room at 3 AM because everything was nothing was pre-recorded then. And um, I said, no, well, I went home and <laughs> Carrie picked me up at the airport And this is, we didn't have cell phones. Like I hardly communicated with him in the, in the journey home. And then he picked me up and he said, so how did it go? Did you tell them that, you know, you can't do the consulting anymore? You've got to focus on your business. And I said, I said, yeah, I did, but you'll never believe what happened. And he said, what? So they offered me a directorship. They want to move our family there. They'll even move my business, my whole studio, all my equipment, you name it. And he said, well, what did you say? I said, I said, no, (laughs) it was a hard decision to to give up the consulting in the first place. And he said, can you call them back? I I was like, oh, no, we're going to start this conversation, this debate, this discussion all over again from scratch. And then he said, you know, Lisa, Maritimers work for years, decades to get home. They'll I know people who have applied for jobs for 20 years, just so they could get back to the Maritimes. And you've been handed this? Like, we need to talk about this. I went, okay. (laughs) So the rest is history. (laughs) Here we are. So, So So I kept...
0: So, Alan Marshall and Associates, do you lie awake at night wondering how you will ever get your debt paid back before you retire? Mary Ann Marriott is a licensed insolvency trustee with Alan Marshall and Associates. She can act as your go between between you and your creditors and negotiate a repayment plan to pay back your debt without interest over a five year period through a consumer proposal. Contact her to find out if this is the best solution for you. You can email her at Marianne at wecanhelp.ca. Alan Marshall and Associates.
1: I kept two of my stores open. I halted the negotiation in Banff um, and then eventually con- conglomerated them into one store and did tried to keep up with everything f- remotely doing the production being a director at a company, <laughs> you know, running a household and reestablishing a, a new social environment and all of that. It was quite overwhelming. Um, but it was, it was how we got here and it,
0: it was, it's a fun story to think back on. Well, and, and again, you being from the West, the fact that, um, again, just what your husband said is so true. Maritimers go far away for employment, but are always looking to come home. So certainly. Um, he might not have realized that burying you was his ticket back home, which is hallelujah. <laughs> is <that> um, funny? <laughs> <laughs> well, but here's the thing. Um, we're lucky to have people like you that make Nova Scotia home because we need we need more ambitious people like you to come here and see that there is an incredible opportunity. And you're living proof. Like mm-hmm. you are just so living proof of that we have that nice way of life and whatever. We could get rid of winter. Life would be perfect. Okay. And let's talk about the Lisa Drader Murphy now. I have to tell you again, I just admire you and the way you do business, Lisa. And so I know that since you've come back to Nova Scotia, you you really started with one business, but how many do you actually have now?
1: Oh, I don't know. I lost (laughs) count.
0: Well, we have the we have the production. We have the retail
1: stores, uh, Willowvale Estate, which is now a hospitality company. um, Seacan Fabrics, which is almost ready to open. I was I slowed down on the opening because I broke my arm two months ago, and I, it just got put to the side. But it's getting closer to being ready, and I'm excited about that. Um, but yeah,
0: I, I keep busy.
1: There are lots oh. of
0: lots of things to do. You know, do you I mean like? Well, but don't Probably you find, more. Lisa, that when when you see one opportunity that you almost become well, you're really a serial entrepreneur because you know, with everything that you've done, there is always an opportunity, isn't there? Always. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So tell us too many us, sometimes. Well, true, <laughs> but still better to have too many than not enough. And and again. What I love about what you've done is that you've done it all on your own by reinvesting in yourself. And that's got to be huge. And, and maybe share that story of the banker who called you up and said, I'll lend you money. And you said, why would I want to do? I love that story. I thought that was. Well, early on,
1: uh, when I opened the first turbine store it really, it, it took off. I, I mean, I was naive. I didn't even know what to expect, but it really took off with, with very minimal investment. And, and the banks were quite intrigued. Like, like, where did this, where did this company come from and what's it all about? And in an industry that, that is known for failure, retail is not easy. And it, and designers, we struggle, we have to work pretty hard. And, um, they, want, they said, you know, we can have, you can have 10 stores within five years. And they had this outline of, you know, you'll be in Edmonton, Vancouver, Winnipeg, and all these Western cities. And, you know, this is the path we can put you on. And based on what you're doing now in the first six months of your business, I mean, it, it, if you have, if you maintain this business model, you know, you could really explode with this, with our help. And, I thought about that and I I just I think I'm a control freak maybe a little bit and I, I didn't want to give up the reins and it scared me it scared me the thought of um having to be beholden to someone else's goals and and most importantly as a creative entrepreneur um when, when this happens, when you start to lose that control, your creativity suffers too. Mm. And I know all about, I learned a hard lesson about energy that's misplaced. Yeah. And I carry that lesson with me. And I knew that I needed to be healthy and I needed to have my own control to be creative when that lightning bolt would strike, not when someone dictated to me when it had to strike and what it had to look like. And and I needed control over that business in order to continue doing what I was doing with it exactly. in a successful way.
0: So and, I said and, no. And, and here's the thing that I think for many women, and you likely see this because I know you're so kind and mentor so many people, as as many women and really entrepreneurs in general, taking those risks, but here's the other part that you, you knew really the path that you were on and you really didn't need them, which sure is a great position to be in that what they were offering did not align with and again that's going back to that energy feeling you know yeah Mm -hmm. feeling well and and nothing i have
1: nothing against anyone who feels confident and comfortable accepting that sort of investment or but i knew that it wasn't right for me and i i think that had i accepted that this business would have lasted 10 years and it would have gone under that's my feeling. I just, I've known so many designers who end up, you know, getting drawn into that because it is exciting. Hmm. And when people are saying, you know, here's $5 million, we're going to make you a household name and, you know, very successful. It can be intoxicating. Exactly.
0: It can be tempting, but, 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 but you, I don't but you think are a household name and you did it on your own. <laughs> Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, cert- I certainly think you are. But anyway, so <laughs> here, here's another thought. Okay, so you got to that point and, and look at all that you've done. You've extended your brand. You've got so many wonderful things. And I know in that head, there's still a bunch more. And I can't wait to see what you're going to do. <laughs> but let's talk a little bit about March of 2020. Yes. And you have one of the most, you're always so positive on social media, you talk about challenges, but you do it in the most positive way I've ever seen. You you did something not that yeah. long ago about how, how do you do with nasty customers when you try as much kindness. And the funny thing about the world is some people, you know, you want to go hurt people hurt people. But you still look to always be trying to do what's right for everybody, but some people you just can't please. But mm-hmm. The part that that also because again you just are so positive. When COVID really shut down the world, you were one of the few people that said, "Not my business." How am I helping my employees?
1: Well, they're integral to my business, exactly. and we're a
0: family. You know, yep. we're a family. Um, but those 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 hours you were still brave enough to not be silent. You were talking. And in your talking, did somebody say masks to you? Because I I, you know, here in Nova Scotia, you were one of the first people. And what I also loved was not only was it a mask, but it was going to be a good looking mask.
1: <laughs> well that was kind of a happy accident because the fabric that I deemed the safest and still stand by happened to be fabric that was going to be an entire spring collection. Um, the most expensive fabric that I had, uh, I could have done it a lot cheaper, but I, this is what I felt, um, was going to be the safest, most effective. Um, yeah, I, I just, I, I wanted to keep people going. I wanted to keep all of us going. I, I didn't know what, what was going to happen. Nobody did it for that couple of, you know, very scary weeks. And then exactly, then financial help started to be rolled out and all of that. And it did get easier for people. In fact, it could be a challenge bringing part-time workers back because exactly. well, yeah.
0: i say no more, right? Exactly. But um, was there a person who suggested or what was that moment that you said, I'm going to make masks?
1: I started seeing a few non-medical masks um, online and, and I, I was nervous about the design. I was nervous about the choice of materials. Nobody had a, a non-woven melt blown polypropylene filter in it. We did that from day one. And um, that's why I did it. And I had to do some soul searching because as, as somebody who has expertise in the technical industrial apparel manufacturing and design, I know that it can take years for certification of it, even a recommendation, which is why we're seeing so much contradiction in our own medical, you know, our own, our own leading doctors, because these things don't have like, they they didn't, they don't go home and think, Oh, let me think what would be the best mask. Okay. I'm going to recommend this today. It takes years. And, and uh, you know, we had to certify flame retardant um, components when we did bunker gear back when I, when that was my focus. And, and I remember a patent on a one component that cost half a million dollars and it took a year and a half, one component. Not the garment, you know. So I respect that process, and I respect the science between the material science, particularly behind what is effective and what is safe and what is not. And I, I kind of I had a, a soul searching moment, and I decided I'm going to do this because I think it's safer than what I'm seeing, and I'll just keep doing research and I'll keep working towards. Um, you know, something that I know is is going to become a recommendation down the road eventually. And, oh, it, that's why. and we've done 41,000 and counting. And we shipped is. all over, everywhere across this country. We've shipped to Europe. We have shipped to the U.S. Um, but, it, but it was interesting because every province and territory in that first week, we were shipping
0: to. It was pretty wow. intense. 41,000 yeah that is that that is just totally amazing, isn't it now and and again, with that technical background that maybe you hadn't used in a while mm. suddenly was there, and yeah, because
1: yours I, are as i said I, think I I made a post about that when I introduced them I said I exercised a muscle that hasn't been exercised in a while, but it's interesting, you know you get yeah. back into it and your mind starts working from that technical um perspective and yeah it was um yeah it was a good challenge but it was under a lot of duress and it was a very stressful time for for me and my team I mean I I remember um about for about six or seven weeks I got up every morning at 6 a.m I started sewing my staff would arrive at 10 they would leave at six I would work till midnight then I would go to to bed and open up my computer and respond to hundreds of Facebook messages, emails, LinkedIn messages, messages on my, on my Instagram, like people were just clamoring to get these masks and to find out how soon they could happen in their hand. Yep. And so that would usually take me a couple of hours, and then I would be up at six and doing the same thing all over again. I was exhausted. Yeah. Um,
0: but when you were making a difference, such a huge difference.
1: Well, it seemed to, It, I, I think it, it was. I think that that there was, um, it gave some, I'm not sure how to say it. I think people needed, the people who were looking for masks in those early days were very afraid and didn't understand enough about this virus. And, you know, and I, I get these heartwarming, sad messages. Like there, there was one... Um, there was actually a seniors home in Calgary that one of my clients had been that her mother was in and she messaged me and she said, I'm, I'm so scared. And, you know, and the people that go visit her and this is part long before they locked down any of these seniors homes right at the very beginning. And there had been an outbreak and she wanted those masks there. And I we expedited them and it still took about two weeks because the postal service was completely inundated. Um, but just hearing, hearing people's stories and, um, and I, I do, I take in the emotion of other people. I think that's something I learned about myself in therapy years ago. So it it was very hard. It was very, very stressful. And there was, there will be people who criticized and there were people who attacked the idea that I was making masks. And then the idea that I was suggesting put a polypropylene filter in it. And like, it was like, <laughs> and then there were people who complained or argued that I was selling out by making masks and fear mongering. And I'm like, and that's none of the none
0: of the above. Exactly. But, you gave sorry. you gave people hope at a time when that's exactly what they needed, Lisa. But but again, the caring aspect of how am I keeping my staff on? What can I do? That again opportunity and solution, that there's always a silver lining if we look for it. That's the only thing that really drives me kind of crazy about social media. Instead of somebody seeing, number one, three layers, you knew right then what a lot of people are only starting to talk about now because of your research, but the fact that you were giving people some hope, right? Yeah, I I
1: guess. I mean, everyone was afraid, and us included. Yeah. You know, we're we're starting to learn more and we are getting, you know, it's become a new normal and we're recognizing that these protocols, most of us are recognizing that these protocols are important for, for the, the health of ourselves, our families, our businesses, our province.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, you know, it's less fear now,
0: yes. but
1: um, there was a lot of fear. There was yeah. a lot of fear.
0: Well, we're, we're coming out the other end and those masks, are going to last a nice long time. So that's the other part about not, you know, the disposal ones are great, but they're ending up at landfill, whereas yours are going to last for as long as we may need them, which who knows how long that is. So at this particular point, you've come out of this, you're back to designing, even though you were doing that with a broken arm. Um, What do you see? Because I know in there, is there somebody lately or something that you're kind of, going in another direction, Uh, again, because maybe a connection you've made through all of this, was there some day that somebody kind of went, Lisa, what about this? And you go,
1: since COVID started? Or? Yeah. or um, No, I just, I'm just always thinking like, I, you know, where I diversify, I know that Um, I've, I've run a vertical operation for a reason so that I'm lowering my risk. You know, if I own the supply chain, which I was very fortunate to be able to, to turn on a dime and pivot when COVID hit, because I, within 24 hours, we were cutting 10,000 face masks. So, you know, most designers don't own their supply chain. You know, designers that actually produce volume, there are you know, it's one thing to be a, an independent, um, you know, home-based business designer who does custom work or small lot runs and that kind of thing. They were able to keep their sewing machine going and sit there and make masks. But most designers who distribute don't have anything to do with their own production. It's all subcontracted. And, you know, we've looked at those opportunities in the past and I decided against it. I liked the control of knowing that this part, you know, was in my back pocket. Exactly. So, um, but in terms of since COVID finding any other, I mean, I just want to keep growing what I've, what I've grown. One thing, you know, we had to close our stores for a time and uh, that was really scary We kept shipping face masks and and also online orders. We were selling clothing too, not just masks. And um, Willow Vale Estate, we had received, we we were completely booked with mainly international travelers. We had been getting a lot of people coming from the UK and the Eastern Seaboard, New York, Western Canada, and not so many locals. A few few times we get locals, but they started canceling because they couldn't travel. And I booked up almost instantly again with staycationers and we had the busiest season that we've had in the past four years that we've run this hospitality division. And so, you know, I guess that it's important to remember that you might, when one door closes, (laughs) another one opens, not just bristle sounding cliche, but because we had diversified and I had different irons and different fires. I could pay attention and go, it's almost like business whack-a-mole. It's kind of like, yep. there's where the opportunity is coming. Focus on that. Yeah, And that's what we did and really grew that aspect of the business. And it, it did help. It helped get through this.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Any, any last minute words of advice to people about, because you are a wonderful people person connector that, um, for a long, long time, was really shy to talk to people, right? Yeah, I I mean, many times we've been in the same room, and let me tell you, to get up the courage to speak to somebody can be really challenging. But here's the thing, um, how do you connect with people? Um, I know a lot of people want to connect with you and pick your brain, but is there a recommendation about, I always say, if you smile at somebody, you make eye contact, start a conversation, because you never know where it's going to go. Somebody's always got something to teach us. Absolutely. Um, I am drawn to,
1: uh, it's going to sound really corny, but I'm drawn to the heart. Um, And you you had asked me earlier about, you know, people who had influenced me. Um, In the, over the last number of years, I've spent some time in Hollywood and I've attended a lot of cool events and it can be very superficial you know, like everybody's out there trying to grasp for the same straw. And I had uh, I have one friend that I met in Hollywood who is has been someone that I can reach out, for, out to from time to time. And we've attended a few events together. And I actually interviewed him for one of my columns. And his name is George Bloodwell. And he is a leading stylist in Hollywood. He has styled Meryl Streep. He's like, he's just, he lives this life that is over the top it's it's quite fascinating to watch him and um all of that and he's one of the kindest people I've ever met in my life and I I just I admire I admire him for that he has kept his kindness and his his as much purity as he could in his heart being in this environment for 30 years and I I think those are the kind of people that I like to network with
0: Exactly. So, yeah. yeah. Look, looking beyond just the connection, but to make the human connection and, and to really find out about developing the relationships, because you're certainly, again, a master at that. So, Lisa, thank you so much. This has just been such a pleasure.
1: Oh, my pleasure. It's, I'm grateful. Thank you, me.
0: Thanks so much for listening. What'd you like best about today's conversations and the connections that lead to miraculous outcomes? Leave a review. We would love to hear from you. We'd love to share your story too. So why not touch base with Delene Allen on Instagram and we'll keep the conversations going.